you should totally come to the church, told him. And he was like, oh, I have way too many sins. I, I don't, I, I, I can't go to church. I have way too many sins. And it, that, that one statement has been gripping my soul throughout this whole week. And it was Monday, I think it was Monday or Tuesday or last week. And, and I just want to put the record straight. If you feel like your sins terrify God, you have the wrong God. It's almost as if, think of it like this. My brother's a paramedic. He's been a paramedic for 10 years, and he tells me these horrible stories. And I think he's just stopped because I'm terrified every time we finish the conversation. Uh, and it's really sad, horrible news of little kids and, and brutality and, and brokenness and blood. And, and it's just life-altering decisions that someone make that, that really was, turned out to be fatalities. But it's almost as if a paramedic came on the scene to your life, the sin in your life the brokenness in your life, and you were bleeding, and you needed a doctor. Now, think about this for a moment. A good doctor, a, a, a healthy doctor, a doctor with great profession that's gone throughout the ringer that knows how to help someone, how to tend to someone, the medication to give, especially when it's life-death scenario. I'm pretty sure when a paramedic comes on the scene, they're not like, oh, that's so disgusting. Oh, my goodness. Like, put that away. No. A good doctor, a healthy doctor, a healthy physician will come and tend to the brokenness. And I just want you to know that that is actually how God views you. He's not terrified of your sin or your brokenness or your evil or your wickedness. But we all know we have it. It's not like a yes or no question. We all know that there's something within us that rages war with peace. We all know there's something in us that creates brokenness into humanity. But if you really do believe that God would come and see you as you are and say, oh, I, I cannot accept that. Sorry. Come back later when you get it all figured out and then come into the house. That's exactly completely opposite of what God wants. You see, God, I believe, is waiting for you. He's searching throughout, I would argue, the, the chairs of your life. Every space that you sit down in, every space that you live in, every space that you do work or career or vocation in, he's seeking you out. And he's not afraid. He's not terrified of your brokenness. In fact, he comes as the great physician. So I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I just wanted, that's not a part of my message. I just wanted you to know God loves you right where you're at. He's actually for you. And if you're not for yourself, he's for you. He has breathed life into you, whether you believe it or not. And that's actually what we get to talk about tonight. We've had this conversation of the DNA of God and these attributes of who God is. In the first week, we talked about Jesus as he came down and he put on flesh and blood and he walked amongst us, this phenomenon of God taking leaving his throne, leaving his high place, so to speak, and becoming a man, being born as a baby. Like not having any power whatsoever as a little child, as a little boy, as a teenager. And then what we found and what we discovered is this Jesus, he was as human as human could be. He found brokenness, he found betrayal, he found joy and laughter. I really do believe that Jesus was a jokester. I personally believe that. I mean, you, like, that's what life, it, like, life, when you really are happy, when you really find joy, don't you just laugh a lot? Don't you love being around, like, the tiggers of the world? 
I do. I love, like, find me a ticket. Like, where are those fun, excited, really, like, off, like, I, maybe that's not too extreme of what Jesus was, but I really do believe he, he made people laugh. He joked. He was fun. And we get to see the very depiction, if you're looking for God, look to Jesus. So we discovered Jesus as a human being. The second week we talked about as he was walking this earth that he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, and he taught us things. In the scriptures, he taught us about life and he taught us about beauty and about wonder. And then the third week we talked about how Jesus is God. We put that right in front of your face. Would you, we, we, basically, would you open up the possibility of your mind that Jesus is, in fact, God. We are biased. We believe that he is God. We believe that Jesus is the Father. We believe that Jesus is the hope for humanity. And not just a prophet, not just a great teacher, not just a great man that walked on earth, but was God incarnate, literally took on flesh and blood and walked amongst us, amongst us and was God. And then the week after that, we had our leaders, James and Nelson speak on the power of coming together as community and knowing that there's a leader amongst us named Jesus who is the good shepherd of our lives. And so often we can find ourselves a part of the 100, a part of the community, a part of the tribe, a part of life with one another, and yet isolation begins to grip us at our core. You know, it's interesting you can be in community and still isolated. You can be amongst a hundred people that love you, really love you, really care about you, willing to give you the shirt off their back, but yet if you isolate yourself internally, you could become the one. That's alone and where the wolf comes to pray and the thief comes to provoke and the thief comes to steal. And then the week after, we talked about this last week, this imagery of Jesus being the lion and the lamb. And we love talking about God being a lion, fierce and powerful and victorious and glorious and wins all of our battles and never fails us. And all of those are true, yet we don't really like the imagery that Jesus is a lamb, that he is innocent, that he's kind, he's meek, he's loving, he's gentle, yet we, we pull out the very essence and the DNA of God if we say he is not a lamb because he was slain for us on our behalf. He died on our behalf. We, we know this in the Western Christian world. It's almost like I don't have to say, like, did you know that there was a cross and there was bloodshed? I almost would argue every person in this room knows that or at least has heard of it. But the beauty and the wonder, the imagery of Jesus being the lion and the lamb. And this week... I get to talk about something that really means a lot to me. And I was, I was thinking about how, how to illustrate this in a way that actually would make sense because you see, I truly believe whether you are on the side of believing in God and knowing who he is and reading the scriptures and applying the things of Jesus into your life and following him, or you're on the side where you just do not believe. There's just so much doubt. It does not make sense. How could a baby be born of a virgin? I don't get that. How, how does all of this make sense? I just don't get it. And if you're at that space, that's totally okay. But you see, I believe wherever you're at on the pendulum of faith, there is this question that echoes throughout your soul. 
If we were to go back into like the prehistoric times where there were actually like men in caves, you know, with like saber tooths coming out them, and, and there was like fighting and like you needed like the essentials of life. Think about this for a second. The hows of life were really essential. They always are. It's this anthropological, anthropology, anthropological question. Does that make sense? <laughs> anthropology is the, the study of humanity, humans, cultures. And so when someone, whoever that person was, developed fire for the first time, imagine the, the beauty and the excitement. There's fire. Like, I, I can contain fire, and there's warmth that comes from this. What is that? And their friends come, and the girlfriend comes, and, you know, the family comes. Like, whoa, what is that? Then how did you make that? When should we use it? Right? But there's this daunting question that we really shouldn't be asking unless there is existence and it's eternal. And it's the question of why. Why am I here? You know that question is an eternal question. I would argue if you're asking that question, you don't know it, but God put it in you. I would argue that that question echoes throughout eternity. Why? Why am I here? What, what did, like, why? You know, I was scrolling through Instagram, as I often do in Facebook, and I know I get it, the, the technology, the neuroscience behind it, you just shouldn't do it before you go to bed, but I find myself doing it a lot. And I'm laying in bed this evening, and, and I'm looking, and I'm captivated by this, this title on Facebook in a video, and it says, young child sees color for the first time. And I remember it was like a 10-minute video, and I'm watching it, and there's like, it's like building up. The mom's recording it, and this young little kid like is completely naive to what's happening. And the doctor gets these glasses, and this, this glasses has the ability with the lens to show color. And we get to see color for those that aren't colorblind. I'm not colorblind. I get to see the blues and the oranges. I get to see the greens. I get to go to the beach and see the beautiful sky and all the different colors of blue in the ocean. And to me, it's like, wow, this is beautiful. And as I was watching this video, it's like the excitement was like building because I knew via the title that this child saw color for the first time. And so then they, the doctor puts the glasses on the child and the child like doesn't even have words to speak. It's just incredibly like blown away and like just like expressing whatever is in like not even old enough to talk but like blown away by the colors that out of nowhere just became and was there and, and like before there was just bleak colors of grays and of blacks and some soft colors but for the first time this child was able to see color and you see it's this this this, the question that daunts me in life, it's like when you are living life, there's so many people around me, so many people around you. Maybe you're in this room and all you see is black and white. All you see is the negative. All you see is the ugly. And there are moments where light will shift and what light will come. But you see, I am convinced that when you find life with Jesus, you begin for the first time to actually see color. You see things in a different light. You see things with beauty and with wonder. And when storm come, because they always do, when evil comes, because it always seems to come, when life just does not like happen the way you wanted it to, there's still color you can see. 
You know, I, I love going to the beach. It, it's just like my favorite thing to do. It doesn't matter if it's at night or in the middle of the day or in the morning. But when I'm standing at the beach, like there's this wonder of the unknown, right? It's dark, especially at night. Like it's dark, it's vast. And, and like even ancient times, they would think there's creatures that would eat people up, right? And maybe there was, who knows? But like there was this fear of the unknown, and when you read the scriptures in the Old Testament and New Testament in particular, that when there's allusions or metaphors to the word sea, it's actually the word, like, there's an echo of darkness, of evil, of unknown, vast, that's out there. And when I'm out standing at the ocean, I can feel the wind and I can see the beauty, whether it's at night or in the day, and I could hear the birds. When I'm standing in those moments, I get to really understand the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of God. And it's this word life. Like, what is life? And why are we living? Like, do you ever ask yourself these questions? Why am I here? You see, I get to talk about tonight that Jesus is life. I really do believe that the DNA of God, the beauty of God, the wonder of God, like, there's something about life when you find meaning, when you find purpose, when you begin to understand who created you and what you're created for, you begin to live life. The scripture says in John 10, 10, James and Nelson talked about this in, in regards to the good shepherd. It says this in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, he says, I have come that they, that you may have life and have it to the full. And when I look at this and when I read it, it's a pretty simple statement, right? Yet there's so many deep layers to what Jesus is trying to say. First, he says, if we're looking at the passage before this, the scripture before this, that he is the good shepherd. And that the, his sheep, his true sheep, the one that actually follow him, they know his voice. And he says, I am the doorkeeper, I'm the gate, and anyone can come and go as they please, but there will be thieves and robbers that try to get into the sheep pen, and, and there's just like so passionate about getting in in another way. And he says, I just want to set the bar straight. The only way to get into the sheep pen is through me. But take heed, as James and Nelson express, as James ex take heed, because there is a thief on the prowl. And the thief can't stand you. The thief hates you. The thief will come and do everything that they possibly can, he possibly can, to rob you of the color in your life. And as I read this, I was like, I know why Jesus put that, the thief and then life, in, in the same sentence. You see, when he's talking about death, or he's talking about brokenness, he's talking about fear, he's talking about escaping and being st something stolen from you. In the very next sentence he says, but I have come to give you life and life to the full. So we've talked about this many times. There are different meanings of words in the original context, in the original language. And it could have been translated from Aramaic to Greek and then to English. And in this particular passage, the Greek stands out the most. It's the most predominant. And so what I did is I was like, what is Jesus talking about this life? 
And I looked at the actual definition of the word that he was trying to say. And the, the very word is a word that I, I think it, it doesn't express it fully. I don't think the person that was actually really understanding what to write, I think it should have been said in a different way because when we say life, we just know of one life. I'm just li- like, hey, you just living life? Hey, how's your life doing? Hey, how's life, man? And it's like there's so many, where, where there's like echoes of what we're saying behind it, but we've lost the, the language and the ability to really express like what we're really meaning when we ask that question or when you're telling someone about your life. You see, there's three different definitions to the word life in the Greek. And the first word is bios. And we find it in Luke 8, verse 14. It says, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, by riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. That word life is bios. We get the word, if you guessed it or not. We get that word from biology, This Greek word refers to the life of the physical body that we live in. So there's the bios of our life. There's the physical body that we live in, that we embody. And there are worries, there are stresses, there are pains, there are riches, there are pleasures in this life that we can experience via the bios. And the next word is one that we all love. It's suke. Can you say that with me? Suke. (laughs) In Matthew 16, it says, for whoever wants to save his life, or another translation says, whoever wants to save his soul shall lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, Jesus says, will find it. That word life is translated suke. The Greek word refers here to the psychological life of the human soul. That is the mind, the emotion, and the will. And I know because Kelly has her degree in psychology and I know many people in this room that just, I love the study of the mind and the study of emotion and the study of your will, that thing that's just an internal engine that you can't seem to grasp, but it's there. It's incredibly invisible, but yet really powerful. You see, there's so many people that will just focus on the suke of life, psychology. And they just want to study the emotion. They just want to study the understanding of why we tick and why we talk and all of those are important and I actually love it. I love understanding like personalities. I like love it. If you, if you know me, you know I want to diagnose you pretty quickly. If you're an extrovert or an introvert, like if you take things in by emotion or just logic, I love this stuff. But you see, there are so many people in our lives that will just stop at suke and bios in regards to life. I, I'm, I'm convinced it's, it's, it's actually a known fact. Like I'm not making this up. When you're born, it's natural. <laughs> and you begin to develop the bios, right? You begin to develop, your fingers begin to grow longer. Like little Drew's here somewhere and his arms are growing longer and his legs are growing longer. And he, he's beginning, his body is shaping child, babies, bodies begin to grow and grow and grow. And it's this bios of life. And that's all great. And I believe that we should desire to continue to grow. It's the same thing with working out. Muscles in the bios, right? I love working out. I, I honestly think if you are going through like tough time. In regards to your suke, like your emotion, just go work out. It feels great. But like dedicate to it. Work out your muscles. Work on them. There's nothing wrong with taking care of your body. 
And there's nothing wrong with taking care of your mind, of your, your emotion, of your will, but there's this one word that we have missed, and we weren't born with it. I just believe we were born with ramifications of it, echoes of it. And it's this word, zoe, that Jesus uses in this passage. I have come to give you life and life. Not just life, because that's just great enough. But I'm God, and I go beyond boundaries. I'm God, and I break borders. I'm God, and I am the God of dreams. I'm God, and I created you to create. Like, look at what I created. Just keep creating more. Just keep dreaming bigger. God is the God of abundance, of the more. So he's saying, I didn't just come to give you Zoe, which we'll unpack in a moment, but I came to give you life to the full. And I believe when Jesus said this, again, we've missed the mark on the language. When you hear that, it's like, oh, that's awesome. Like, translations, there's different. I've come to give you life and life to the full. That's great. I've come to give you life and life more abundant. But that word, it literally goes deep and it literally means all around. I've come to give you life and everything that comes with life and more. I've come to give you life and life exceedingly, abundantly, above everything you could ever dream or imagine. Whatever your dream is, think beyond that. And I've come to bring those things to pass. I've come to exceed your expectation. This word zoe in John 1.4, another passage, it says, In him, in Jesus, was life. In him was zoe. And the life was the light of humanity. So this is an incredibly audacious statement, by the way, that John is making. He's saying that God came as flesh and blood, right? And he walked amongst us, but he actually came with life. And by the way, he's come to bring life, but he is actually life itself. If you are searching for life, if you are searching for meaning, look no more, here he is. Life. But it's this different word. It's not the suke. Here he is, the psychology of who we are. Here he is, the answer to our emotion. Here he is, the answer to the aches and pains and the groanings of heaven one day because our body's just like continuing to be broken. He's not talking about that type of life. The definition of Zoe is actually all life throughout the universe. It is derived and it always only comes from, under, like, get this, it always only comes from and is sustained by God's self-existent life. It can only come from God. The Lord intimately shares his gift of life with people, creating in his image, which gives all the capacity to know his eternal life. Another translation says that the Greek word refers to the uncreated eternal life of God, the divine life divine, something that we can't obtain unless God gives it to us, unless God speaks it to us, and it is uniquely possessed by God. You know, I, I really do believe, I, I was listening to a mentor in this really interesting analogy of, of the body, of the bios, right? And it's this phenomenon called phantom pain. Have you heard of it? You could be living your whole life Say you're 45 years old and one day your arm gets chopped off. And there's this, this problem that the brain and the nerves have. That the brain still thinks that your arm is there. And so 
if you would normally go to grab the cup of coffee with your right arm and your arm's cut off, there's this pain because your body and your mind still believe it's still there. And it's an incredible, takes years to overcome of this phantom pain in your life. But the only way you have the pain is because you knew what it was like to have the arm. You see, I believe it's the same thing with God. He put in our soul phantom pain. He put in your soul an echo to eternity. He put in your soul the questions of life, the whys of life. He put in your soul, I want to see color. I cannot see color. Where is life? I just go, I wake up, I clock in, I clock out, I shower, I go to bed, I watch Netflix, and then I just press repeat. And it's like the same thing every single day. Where is the life that I know my, my soul longs for? And I'm convinced that when you begin to develop the relationship with the creator of the universe, it's audacious to say, right? But I am incredibly biased. I believe that Jesus is the creator of the universe. I believe that Jesus created your soul. I believe that Jesus created your mind, your emotions, your will. The problem is you weren't born understanding Zoe. You weren't born with it. Yet there's this phantom pain. <laughs> like why is it, another thing that I've heard, why is it that we desire peace so much, yet we've never lived in a world of peace? There's this, this echo, this, I, I know there's something there and I know like it should be there, but like why isn't it there? And then we have all these questions to life. You see, when we realized and believed in, in God, for those who have, we were not only redeemed, but we also received the divine life, the Zoe life. We were born again. That's why, worship team, you guys, I almost fell. Worship team, you guys can come on up. <laughs> You guys can come on up. I, I, I always would wonder, like, why, why would Jesus say you have to be born again? Have you ever heard of, of that saying? And I love church, and I grew up in church, and I just, like, it's great, and it's awesome, but we just, we can be so weird sometimes. And, and like, why would we walk around? I don't know if this ever happened to you. If it is, I want to publicly apologize on behalf of people that believe in Jesus. Seriously. I don't know if you have ever encountered someone that has walked up to you and says, have you, do you know you have to be born again? You have no concept, maybe you have no concept of Jesus. Like, does that sound weird? It doesn't make sense, right? Like, hey, um, they ask you the questions, do you know, you know that you, maybe you have like this sin in your life? And the sin, it's really important to know. You're a sinner. You're so filled with sin. And because of that, there's a judge. And if you were to walk into the room with a judge, I'm not like making fun. I'm just saying this is what happens. You walk into the room and, and, and there's all these accounts against you. And you're going to die and be in prison for the rest of your life. But Jesus walks in and he takes care of all the debt. That sounds amazing, right? But then the question is, you have to be born again. Did you know that? And it's like, how can I possibly be born again? But yet, if you actually know the context, and we're in church, we get to talk about it, there is this conversation of being born again. And if you never heard it, plain and simple, I want to just break it to you the best that I can. 
You see, Jesus walked throughout the earth and there were rabbis, there were teachers of the law and of the scriptures and life was so important to these men. Spirituality, knowing God, being in communion with God was everything to them and they would do everything they possibly could to the extent of not touching the same dirt of someone that wasn't Jude that stepped on. They would not step on the same dirt. Like that dirt that that person stepped on that's not a Hebrew, that isn't circumcised, I cannot step on that same dirt because I'm like so much more above you. And so Jesus is telling the story of life in a new way. He's saying, I, I've come to give you life. I am the, breath of, the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so these people want this. Like what is this Jesus talking about? So this man comes to him. He says, Jesus, how, how, do I, how do I live this life, this Zoe life? I want it. He's like, Jesus says, you have to be born again. And I understand what he meant now because the natural, you're born in suke, growing in your emotion, in your being. Did you know, studies show that from ages zero to three and four, zero to four, your child is developing its personality, its character, He's understanding the way and moods of people. They're understanding the way people tick and talk. They're very suke. Their very personality is being developed from the ages of zero to four years old. And so we're developing and then our body's developing, but there's something that is missing. And that's why Jesus says you must be born again. And it's not physical, it's a spiritual. It's within you. Why is it that when people come to faith, I always would ask myself this when I grew up in church, people would come down to the altars and it was such an amazing experience and the pastor was great at it and, and they would raise their hands and it was in a wonderful experience. And I remember as like a 12 year old thinking, because the pastor would say, everything in your life is gonna change now. Everything, just be waiting for it, just be expecting it. And I remember thinking, I'm not kidding, daydreaming thinking, wow, like when they go home, are they gonna have like a new car? Like, that's so cool. Like, you know, and it, it's not like when you give your life to Jesus, when you cross that line of faith, you go home and you have a new wife. Or you go home and you have a new husband. Or you go, you go home and you have a new career or vocation. You see, that's all external. But Jesus, he said, I've come to give you life. And that life that you're searching for and longing for, it starts from within. It's something that happens that's invisible and you cannot see it. You might not understand it, but it's this development within your soul. And now all of a sudden you put on the lens of life and you can see color for the first time. You see, I don't know who you are in this room. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know the things and the pressures of life. But I do know something. Audaciously, I would claim that I really do know God. I don't know everything about him. I'm still learning. But I know that when I've given my life to Jesus, I just begin to see color for the first time. I begin to live and actually have joy. And when the storms came, I was able to withstand it because there was this invincible power within me. And eventually it leaks out and it bleeds out. If you're in this room tonight and you've never experienced this life from within if you've never experienced life to the full 
you've never experienced life in its abundance, I truly believe that people can go their entire life, the suke life, the bios life, just existing, just going through the motions, and yet some of us might not ever know what it's like to truly live. If you're in this room and you do not know who Jesus is, I wanna pray with you for a moment and give you the invitation to cross that line of faith and to ask Jesus into your life to reshape your perspective, to reshape all of the biases in your life, all the preconceived notions of who God is, and that you would open up the possibility that God is, Jesus is life. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I pray for every person in this room right now, God. For those that do not know you, God, for those that are searching for you, for those that might be searching for life and for some reason found themselves here tonight, God, I pray that you would speak to their heart right now, that your Holy Spirit, that the Zoe life that we all desire would speak right now to our soul. And if you're in this room and you would say, I I want to cross that line of faith, I want to give Jesus my life, and if that's you, would you just raise your hand just for a moment so I can see you. Jesus, I pray, Father, for these people that have given their life to you, that you would speak to them, that you would move in them, that you would show them the beautiful wonder, the colors of this life, that they would take journey in community, that they would desire more of you, that they would see life in its beauty. We love you so much, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and finish off in worship. Love you guys.